Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, wild bows return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman and all the pieces are now in place. It's time for consolidation. What is what does that mean? Panopticon surveillance of our listeners. Oh, of course. Please, everyone, speak clearly into the microphone. Like this. My name is Scott Daly, and this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Bo's world of questionable cow marketing, frequent dismemberments, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we continue with Arc 10 Polarize with chapters 10.3 and 10.4. At last, we're given a few drops of Chris-related info before promptly shifting gears as Team Breakthrough finally stands up Victoria's Consolidated Hero Organization. This brings him in the contact with Tattletail and the Undersiders, who are leaving New Brockton to protect Foil from the oncoming march of... M- march? <laughs> the Cluster Collector. Matt, what did you think about these two chapters? Well, we're moving from those standard beginning opening chapters that set the pieces, and we are beginning to understand all of the other elements that are going to come into play here. We're going to have March, the 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 mad cluster collecting um, psychopathic uh, opponent. We're going to be bringing the undersiders into things. We've got uh, we've got an unstable and an upset Kenzie who's being um, overworked. Possibly, we've got uh, the evolving um, Victoria Cape organization. Basically, we're coming to understand what's going to be happening in these chapters, and and uh, it's I, I am pretty hype to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm very excited, too. I think it, the the theme of the arc is kind of starting to crystallize a little bit for me. It's this arc called Polarize, and um, across four chapters, we've had two rather intense arguments with two people on on diametrically opposed sides of an issue that, that their argument had to be interrupted by a person uh, calming things down in the middle. So that's kind of setting up the flavor for what I think is going to be an arc filled with um, contentious disagreements um, that are not easily settled. Um, and it, it seems like that's where we're heading and, and it's going to involve the undersiders in some way, it seems, because that's that's where we're moving. And I'm pretty excited about it, too. Yes. Yeah, so far, so far, definitely. I agree with that, that particular use of the word polarize. I'm I'm kind of keeping my ears open to see if there's going to be another um, another usage of that word because, frankly, the application of the word polarize to light is completely different from the word polarize meaning like to push to two different poles of of an argument. Like it's yeah, polarizing light actually just means you're not letting uh, the light through unless it's unless it's um, vibrating in a certain plane, which. I can see all kinds of metaphorical implications for, but I haven't noticed anything like that quite yet, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as always, these words have multiple meanings and yeah, I, I, I always, one of the big things about what we do that I enjoy is getting to see how uh, those meetings uh, crisscross with each other and it can mean both at the same time. Absolutely. So we'll see. All right. So announcements, the Halloween costume contest is over. Uh, or at least the submission phase is over. We, yeah. we received a good number of submissions, and we'll, we'll be putting those submissions up for our patrons to vote on shortly, and yeah. we'll let everyone know as soon as we have the results from that. Yeah, I'm hoping that by the time everyone is listening to this, the patron vote has gone live. Um, 
as of this recording, it has not yet because we're still going through. We're kind of trying to we, we got more submissions to this contest than we have gotten for the fan art contest. So I'm kind of trying to figure out if we want to like how we want to do that differently. And we just got some stuff to figure out on the back end. Um, but that those will be coming out soon. Thank you, everyone that entered. Uh, your, your costumes are fantastic. It's so great. I wish like I could like go around my neck of the woods and see people dress like this. I didn't, but I know you're out there. Yeah, it was it was very cool seeing such a variety. Um, I, I don't I don't know if there were hardly any uh, duplicates of, of characters. And that was kind of interesting and surprising. Yeah, I don't think so. Cool. All right. Now for the part of the show where we discuss what y'all wrote from last week's thread, the community spotlight. And the discussion question is, tell us your favorite heartwarming moment in Parahumans. Matt, I loved this question and I love these <laughs> answers. They made me feel good. Like sometimes it's it's emotionally draining to collect everyone's answers because you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's fucking terrible. Um, but this is one of those ones that I enjoyed the process very much. Yeah, I feel like after last week's, you know, in-depth discussion of of forgiveness and and everything, I'm like, you know, I just want to talk about like some good memories. So yeah. and we got a lot of uh, people that I have never submitted before, Matt. I saw a lot of new names on here. Um, so thank you for doing that. I think we try to prioritize some of the new ones. So if there's some of you on there that have answered questions in the past and we didn't um, we didn't include it this time. Sorry about that. Yeah. But uh, all right, so Bisexual Punch Party writes about Regent's death. And they say, admittedly, this is a bittersweet moment, but I'm a sucker for bad guys going out in a final selfless act. You have this guy who has severely emotionally abused as a child, whose power rewards him for using other people as an extension of his own desires, and he finally finds a person he loves more than himself. And for once, Regent sacrifices his own body for someone else. Aww. It's beautifully said. Um, it is a bittersweet moment, but I agree. I mean, like everybody dies, Matt, you know, and then sometimes people die in, in ways that are, you know, saving the people they love. And I think that's, that's great. Yeah. All right. David Hunt, uh, cheats and lists two moments, not just one for shame, David, <laughs> you should feel bad. Uh, the first is in worm at the end of arc four shell when Brian and Lisa have brought Taylor home with a cover story for her concussion when she's sitting on the couch with Brian and catches her dad's eye. It felt so good for Taylor to have a win. Yeah. And she's got friends and, and it, she's, she's in a semi good place <laughs> at that moment in the story for yeah. sure. The other moment is when Breakthrough visits the prison and Ashley hugs Kenzie. This was just after we've learned how her rules work for hugs, and we know that Ashley has navigated, ignored them to give Kenzie exactly what she needs. It's also wonderful because up until this point, we haven't seen Ashley showing this degree of affection for anyone. I don't know if she was even capable of it. They're both supporting each other, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, I like that moment a lot, too. That was that was a big moment. It, I think it is, a, like, as we see a little bit later in the story, it might be a little concerning that we're putting aside the, the no-hug rule, but... Let's not pay attention to that part of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that moment with, with Taylor, um, that's just something that you're just absolutely aching for at that point of the story. Yeah. I, I remember distinctly um, just, just being like, like th this, is, this is so great. It's, it's one of those things where it's hard to explain to someone that this action superhero story actually hinges on moments like some people sitting on a couch together. Yeah. But it absolutely does. Sure. Sarah Penguin uh, mentions Parian and Foil at the end of Worm. And they say, when Parian first joined the Undersiders, she seemed very much out of place. And then there's the whole bone saw going after her family thing. 
At the same time, Foyle sees her career and life plans crumble before her when the whole corruption thing is made public, while the person she loves gets corrupted by Skitter. Despite all that, and Parian's being possessed uh, slash controlled issues, they find a way to make it work. Then there is everything they go through together. Overcoming the cape relationships don't work stereotype, Jack and the clones, and that heartbreaking scene with Greyboy, and the end of the world. There's also the Parian being kidnapped, but we don't find out uh, about that until later. Uh, not only do we get to see how they are still together and happy, but we also get to see how they have both grown as people and how they e have each uh, held each other up and made each other stronger, which is why it is my favorite moment. That's yeah, beautiful. It is. It's very beautiful. I mean, that's I, I love that this 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 is a, a book and a series of books that's kind of gotten, uh, um, you know, a, a unfair. Well, not unfair, but it's characterized as very dark, very kind of depressing and but but there are character beats there are moments spread throughout this this very dark um story of people you know finding themselves of people finding a way to be okay with themselves of people finding love and relationships and and some form of happiness amidst amidst the death and the destruction and and i i like that i like sarah penguin pointing these two characters out because they're right yeah, and as far as we can st tell, they're still together and, and happy in, in this story. And yeah. That's even better. Yeah. All right, next we have Int Scoot, who says that early in Ward, when Sveta and Victoria reunited, made my cold, dead heart beat a little. Uh, yeah, that is a really great moment when we see those two characters see each other for the first time. And, and I think the cool thing about that moment is you, the reader, are excited because you're seeing Sveta again, and she was always kind of a fan-favorite character, so you're excited, and, and I think... Your excitement as a reader parallels Victoria's excitement as a, a character. And I think that makes the moment work really well. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because, like, we we want we wanted this for, for Sveta and Victoria also does. So, yeah, perfect. Calinero uh, mentions Taylor returning Dinah to her family and says, It's just so good. Dinah feeling broken, lost, like her parents won't want her, even though she can see the future and ought to know that this simply isn't true. She's vulnerable because she's a, she's a traumatized kid, and it's so real, and it's one of the few moments of human emotional interaction where Taylor actually seems to know what to do. She's just so genuine in reassuring Dinah that her parents will still want her and love her, and she doesn't stop at anything or make any excuses. We even get some insight into Taylor's own parents when she talks about her mother teaching her the meaning of words and word roots, such as para, using a world-building moment to tie together each of their relationships with their own parents. Such good writing. Yeah, I, I love this moment too, Matt. And this is one of those things that under our old format, we didn't spend too much time on this moment because we just couldn't. We were covering a whole arc on one show. Um, but if we were doing it under this format, I think I would have spent a lot more time on, you know, this the, the entire interaction between the two of them and how Taylor does these things and how she processes this stuff. And it, I, I it's it's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love this. Um, I can't uh, escape thinking about the fact that Dinah is like playing the odds throughout the whole conversation, though. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's true, but sometimes you just gotta yeah just push that push that out of your mind. But f I mean, from Taylor's point of view, it is it is just a moment of her being good. So right, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, next we have next whom who says that their their favorite heartbreaking moment is Defiant and Chevalier's heartwarming moment rather <laughs> defiant and chevalier's small moment during the behemoth battle where chevalier says old friend to defiant 
Um, or was it the other way around? I can't remember. I think I think Chevalier is the one that says it, right? I don't remember either. It's embarrassing, but I, yeah, I think I think it is. Um, it, it's I, I love that too. I love this mo- like Chevalier is such a great character. He has such a a huge role in that whole fight, and um, seeing these two characters, um, you know, interact with each other is great. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. It's uh. I remember that being amazing because you literally this is just Chevalier's interlude and you don't really know him that well prior to this. And then by the end of the interlude, you're like sobbing, hoping that he lives. Yeah, that interlude is like, you know, a character study in one chapter. And, yeah. and like the 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 amount of heavy story lifting that gets you from who's this random guy that seems nice, but we don't know about to like, oh, my God, it's so wonderful. Look what he's doing. He's yeah. standing up again. It, it's like the, the amount the the amount of story economy to accomplish that in such a short amount of time is wonderful. Yeah, I agree. Uh, from Kayakin. Uh, we have the moment in Flare 2.5 when we first see how uh, Victoria is doing in modern times. And we get the realization that she has a body for herself, coupled with her happiness. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, we're talking about Sveta. Sveta has a body. Yeah. And c- coupled with her happiness on seeing Victoria doing okay herself is nothing less than a, a direct injection of happiness straight into the soul. And then secondly, Shadow 5.4, when Victoria has to, sell, uh, has to tell Sveta about the wretch. She bears her wounds, her insecurities, and deeply set trauma and tries to brace herself for judgment. And Sveta just hugs her. She gets it. She understands what it's like and offers nothing less than complete and total support and compassion. It's one of the chapters I have bookmarked simply because of how impactful that scene was for me. And I loved every word of it. Oh, beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm noticing a theme that a lot of these heartwarming moments center around Sveta. Yes. I hope we don't like systematically destroy her through the events of this novel. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, when we were doing the we've got worm and like when she she's just so lovable immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From, from the first from the first meeting. Yeah. She's she's delightful. Like, uh, uh, God, I, she's a great character. I, I've loved seeing her journey and. As much as I don't want it to happen, like some bad stuff's going to happen to her that she's going to have to go through at some point. And and I just hope that she comes out the other side of it. No, she'll be fine. Nothing bad's going to happen to anyone. (laughs) Up next, we have Delai Java, who lists the moment um, when young Rachel makes friends with Rolo. Isn't that the dog that died and horribly? Probably. And then she oh. triggered and used her powers on it. I guess that's the first one. That's the dog yeah. she used her powers on. I, I think that I, be, I believe that is her, um, her, her interlude. Yes. And, yeah. Yes. Where, yeah, we learn that she takes care of the dog and tries to, doesn't really know what she's doing because she is a ch- small child. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That is, I guess, I guess that is a very wonderful heartbreak or heartwarming moment. Um, yeah. And, at, <laughs> at the t- at the time, yeah, until, and then it, it goes the bad very the, quickly. Until the rest yeah. of the scene, yeah, yeah. Um, Data Snake sixty nine talks about uh, extermination eight point eight when Lisa reveals she knew about Taylor's undercover plan from the start, but still invited her on the team. And they say when Taylor thought she was putting on an act that fooled everyone, getting ready to betray the Undersiders' trust, Lisa saw right through it and accepted her anyway. As the saying goes, a true friend is someone who knows all about you and still loves you. Aw, yeah, that's, that's true. such a heartwarming question. I'm so happy. Yeah, 
All right, now let's talk about bad stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> before we leave the discussion, uh, in in kind of general comments, Megafire wrote a book uh, about the Carol conversation. Um, we can't can't really summarize it. It's it's basically a novella. So just just go check the thread and read Megafire's um you know story. Yeah, it's like a thousand pages. Yeah, just go read it. Yeah, let's go check out good. the thread. Go read it. Go enjoy it. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for doing that, Megafire. All right. So let's get into the chapter 10.3. And the chapter begins with back, Kinsey announced, incoming, clear space, um, as if as if dramatically preparing us for something. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then and then which is amusing. And then within the next paragraph, she refers to herself herself exploding all over the place, <laughs> which I can't help but just pull out and mention yeah, I'm, I'm glad you started with this because this is definitely the first thing I wanted to talk about, too. The second I read it, I wanted to talk about this. We left this last chapter, we left 10.2 with this like kind of almost bombshell reveal, like Chris is uh, actually the one in charge, possibly. Um, it, it, Amy's working for him. And we move into this chapter and we're kind of dealing with the consequences of this for, for Kenzie. And the chapter immediately sets up imagery as if a bomb is about a Kenzie shaped bomb is about to go off and it's it's wonderful like it's really great and what I like here is that the the book does not call attention to this moment like it doesn't call attention to that that it's using that kind of wording right it just puts it out there um you can you can pick it up or you miss it but it just kind of sets a tone for you um that kind of wording combine that with the the blood red taco shell that kenzie is eating while we're going through all this thing we have all this like this clearly dangerous situation uh enforced imagery coalescing around kenzie as we start this chapter off yeah right it's just eating these extremely spicy tacos which yeah. are you know essentially I don't want to say they symbolize heat because they are. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Um yeah. I I agree. Let's pay, let's let's pay a lot of attention to Kinsey today. How about? Yeah, okay. All right. Until we stop. <laughs> yes. So, uh Kinsey returns to the table and uh brings them all of their food and the team has you know has to basically decide whether whether they're going to continue discussing the sensitive subject of chris with kinsey present yeah so i mean this is like totally um not necessarily supported by the text but every time kenzie goes off and people talk about kenzie and situations around kenzie while she's not in the room in the back of my head it's like she might be it's probably listening in on this stuff, uh-huh. right? Like she's like she this is something she's definitely done in the past. So it's not too outlandish to say that she's, you know, spying on her her team members. And it would be a great indication of like kind of how much backsliding she's doing in this moment. Um, like, again, there's nothing in the text that supports that. And I think kind of her reaction when they bring up the Chris topic seems to at least indicate that it was kind of a surprise for her. But I can't help but wonder that every time a situation like this happens. Yeah, I almost feel like we've never seen any indication that she doesn't do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like by default, I, I agree with you, and I might even go farther and say um, she has her rules, but like she's never said, "No, I don't have listening devices and listen to all of you all the time." That's yeah. not something she's ever even claimed, <laughs> right? So, right. Um, and we we kind of reinforce the fact that she has and is. Um, at least researching everyone on her team in a few minutes here when we get to lemonade conversation. But, um, 
yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Again, there's nothing there's nothing textually here that says that's what's happening, but it's fun to think about at least. Yeah. So the way Victoria determines whether they're going to discuss Chris is she just checks in with Ashley. The text says, I met our Ashley's eyes. She nodded just a fraction. So I love two things about this. One is that Vicky looks to Ashley specifically for consensus. Yeah. She, tr- she trusts her. She, she relies on her judgment. The other is that she uses the term our Ashley, which is uh, just the most inclusive possible way of phrasing that. Yeah, it really is. I, I love it, too. Um, t- to your first point, it is kind of fascinating that Victoria's leadership in- role in this team is is relatively inclusive. Like she's not officially the leader. Neither is Tristan. Tristan. Neither is Ashley. They've kind of all taken this role. And, and Victoria absolutely delegates to to other people's authority in moments that she needs to. It's like you are better to make this call. I'm going to go to you. Um, for some backup, she goes to Sveta with some stuff first. Like she's she's a very inclusive leader. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great point. And I, I I like the reason you said I the our Ashley is something that I think they've been using. I think it, this is not the first instance of it. It's used multiple times throughout these past few chapters. But I like it. It, it is very inclusive of Ashley. It, but on the flip side, what this also does is kind of by default excludes other Ashley, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if this is our Ashley, then the other one is not our Ashley, like by definition. So it, it's kind of just like, it's kind of a way to clearly identify her as outside the group. She's here, she's with us, but she is not a part of this team. And, and that's something that later in the chapter, they will kind of definitively declare is when they're talking about, you know, who is going to be there to help support the team? Who, who can we rely on? And they say definitively damsel is not a part of this team she might help defend people um if there's someone she cares about but she is not we cannot count on her as part of this team yeah i, I do wonder what this story is going to do with damsel because yeah. she's she's you know she's still here right she hasn't yeah. been been um sidetracked and and just given some reason to get her back out of the story like oh okay yeah she's now she's in this other detention facility no it's She's uh, she's she's as present as as our Ashley is. And uh, clearly something is going to be done with her. Yeah. And we are, you know, not so subtly reinforcing this idea of they're having an effect on each other. Like this, mm-hmm. this is a beat. We'll get into it very specifically as they happen. But this is a beat that's hit multiple times throughout the chapter is, is Victoria noticing behavior and then tying it back to a damsel influence. And, and whether or not that's a accurate perception of of victoria is that's actually what's happening is up for debate but we are seeing behavior and 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 you know pointing to a a reason for it and the whole ashley's situation is very interesting because just like they are they're the the, what's going on with them is very much kind of up in the air and we're not sure about it right now Mm -hmm. yeah good point um so kenzie has brought victoria some iced tea uh, which Victoria avoids analyzing too much because she knows full well that Kenzie knows her preferences uh, due to Kenzie stalking her. Yeah. Uh, th- I think this is a nice little show don't tell beat, basically saying, hey, Kenzie's not doing so hot um, because, you know, this is a kind of line crossing gesture that I feel like she does less of when she's less upset. Like this is the kind of thing where she's she's going out of her way to show that she cares and is paying attention but she does it in a way where people notice that she's 
being inappropriate. That's classic yeah. Kinsey pathology. Right. Yeah. I mean, what this makes me think about, like, presumably the iced tea thing is something that Kenzie probably learned about Victoria a while ago. Right. Yeah. Like it's not something like it's not evidence that she's spying on her, you know, currently. But yeah. But so it's not necessarily evidence that Victoria that, that Kenzie's slipping into old habits. But but I think I think her agitated state is, as you said, making it harder for her to like, I don't want to say hide, but like um, not reveal that she knows all this information about everyone. Uh, She's usually much. But so that makes me wonder, is this is this better then? Is it better for her to not be as good about hiding that she knows all these things? So at least it can come out and we can deal with that that knowledge. I mean, I I, I'm kind of torn on it. I guess fundamentally I see it as like the issue is her people pleasingness first and foremost, her, her, her need for everyone to like her. Right. And, and this, the, the spying on everyone is a consequence of her need for everyone to like her. So like the fact that she's surveilling everyone all the time in the first place originated because she wanted to gather information so that right. she could make them like her. And then I think like, like you say, she, maybe she has had like a period of doing a little bit better recently and feels less compelled to make everyone like her and thus doesn't rely on those things that she learned anymore. But now yeah. this is the sign. This is why I say, I think it's a bad sign because she's doing something that again crosses a line. I mean, it's it's exactly the kind of thing that she got in trouble with that caused her trigger event, where it's like, yeah. it's like you you're you're using information you you shouldn't know in a way that you think is going to endear you to someone, and it and it does the opposite. Yeah, I think I think that's very fair. I mean, and I think that goes into the whole taco thing in general. I mean, she went off and got food for herself and brought back shitloads of tacos for everyone. Um, I mean, part of this is, I think, because she maybe she knew this conversation was going to happen and she's like trying to butter everyone up on her side. Like she's trying like it, it's so weird because like. You and I, w- with a person who doesn't have Kenzie's kind of um, pathology, that would just be like a nice gesture, right? It's just like, uh-huh. oh, look, someone's doing something nice for the people they care about. But like with Kenzie, there's so much more meaning attached to it. There's so much more there. It's it's not just I wanted to do something nice for you. It's I'm desperate for you to like me. And and I'm hoping to God that this gesture makes that so. And she borderline argues with Tristan over paying for it. Right. Right. Like she's right. like she basically tries to insist on paying for it. Which really, as you say, is her kind of being like, no, no, I'm I'm uh, doing this for you. You know, love me. Right. Um, Right. And which is exactly like she's 11. That's exactly the kind of thing I would have done when I was 11 and be like, yeah, this is how it works. Right. (laughs) Yep. I bought you something. Love is seen through taco purchases. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why that's why I buy my wife tacos all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, So. Then the conversation becomes the Chris info dump. Finally, yep. uh, Tristan says that Chris can. F- so so basically, everyone takes turns saying little bits of info about Chris. First, they kind of couch it as like we don't really know what of this information is true. Yeah. Um, but eventually, Tristan says that Chris confessed to being motivated by a desire to get eyeballs deep into intense, powerful cape stuff. 
Yeah, which I think lines up pretty well with everything we've heard about Chris before. And I know this to be true because the book kind of does a really nice job of nicely summarizing this all up for us. Right. It says he told us what motivated him. He wanted to dive headfirst into intense, powerful cape stuff. He was grumpy about being left out of the visit to Warden's headquarters, and he was perfectly happy being in the midst of the fallen thing. Now he's maneuvered to be in the midst of the Earth Shin thing. So this um I think this is a really great moment of like recap for readers. And this sent me down a rabbit hole that I think we've probably addressed before. And if I'm repeating myself uh, across these 200 hours of audio content we made, I'm sorry. But this got me thinking about um, the way that a serialized novel has to dole out information to its readers. Right. Um, This book has been going on for almost a year now, and we're maybe halfway done with it. Maybe, Uh, you know, books in general need to remind people of information, especially important information. They need to have moments where we like remind our people about 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 what they've read and, and how this relates to what's happening right now. But like a serialized story has to do that a lot more, a lot more explicitly and a lot more in different ways, because like even a long book. It's probably not going to take you two and a half years to read it. Like like even like I read about a book a week. Um, which is a lot for most people. Most people probably read, you know, maybe a book a month still, like even a book as long as Worm probably take a few months to read if you're just reading it like a normal novel and not a serialized novel. The point of this all is that you need to remind your people of stuff. (laughs) And I think that's what this this statement does. It's like, look, remember all this stuff that we learned about Chris? Here's how that relates to kind of how we're discussing about him now. Yeah, I I think it's great because the reader does benefit from a little bit of dot connecting. And this is the perfect way to do that because it's the characters doing the dot connecting for themselves, right? right? They're not explaining it to you because you're too dumb to keep up. Yeah. They're, they're touching base and, sh- and comparing notes and at the same time giving you the information that you need to, to connect the dots along with them. Yeah. Although they are explaining it to me because I'm too dumb to keep up. Like it's, that's what's happening as well. But they, yeah, it's couched in inside a different thing. It's 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 makes sense in the world, so it doesn't feel like just information dump for you, the reader, for sure. Yeah. Um. And, and I think that's like 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 anything with with writing. That's a kind of a tough line to thread. Like it's you don't want to do it too much. You want to trust your reader to a certain extent, but you don't want to assume that they remember a thing that they read eight months ago. Um, and, and how you decide when and where to do that, I think is tough. And I, mean, I think the story does a pretty good job of it. Yeah. Like f- for, for, for the people who are, who are kind of keeping up intensely, uh, like us and a lot of people on the Reddit, for example, there's continual conversations about what's going on with Chris, what's motivating right. him, what, what he's doing. So, um, a, a lot of this is, is sort of confirming certain things that we think or or perhaps you could say it as like eliminating avenues of um possibility um let's move on a little bit because um we we learned more of course so (laughs) so uh what happens before they can really dump too much more info on us is that tristan and kinsey begin to argue over tristan's assessment because it implies that Chris was just using breakthrough to get where he wanted. Uh, Victoria then calls for a break in the conversation when she sees them getting heated. Yeah, and I, I think this is a conversation that probably deserves some time for us to really dig into it. And the big thing that I wanted to do here is draw that parallel between the Tristan Kenzie argument about 
Chris and the Carol Sveta argument about Amy that happened back in the first chapter of this arc. Both sides are arguing about the intentions of a person, and both are coming at it from a, a slightly different angle. Kenzie doesn't want to see Chris as a person that was just using the group to get what he wanted. Which, side note, isn't that what, like, everyone was originally doing? Like, was like the instigating thing of Breakthrough is, like, we all wanted something, and we might as well get together to align those wants and accomplish them. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean... I, I I guess I guess what I guess what Kenzie means is like no he was genuinely my friend and he genuinely cared about right, me right right and, and I, I mean yeah that that is that's not to say that even though that was their original goal that the team has not come together in a, a deeper way since that original goal but like that's definitely how things started out it's like we all have things we want to accomplish we all have things we want to do this group is a way for us to accomplish those things yeah yeah I, I like how this is set up though because yeah. it leaves you. It leaves me anyway pretty unsure about Chris still about his personality I mean yeah well I mean that's because that's the whole thing with Amy right like Kenzie can't see a bad side of Chris because she wants the good side so much mm-hmm. and that's kind of like what Carol does with Amy like Carol is is so wrapped up in um, making up for what she did with Amy that she refuses to look at, at the the evidence of um, less than perfect behavior in her um, on the other side Kenzie sees something different in Chris that no one else sees. She sees a companion that the rest of the group, a level of companionship that the rest of the group had never formed. And the thing about Kenzie is we don't know if this is just her willing it to be true because she wants people to like her so much or if they really had a bond there. Like that's that's the thing about Kenzie is you never know. So that that's I think that's go along with what we're talking about of why we're not sure about Chris still here, because like. Both sides have points. Yeah, right. Like, you know, there, there's a moment in a little bit where Ashley or I forget if it's Ashley or if it's Damsel, um, but one of Both. them kind of pattern pattern matches like Chris's behavior to that of an abuser, which is not surprising because that's kind of Ashley, what Ashley is sensitized to as a person. Like like if someone is nice to you sometimes and then intermittently really mean to you um then then basically they're the only reason they're being nice to you is to keep you around so that they can use you as a punching bag and so and and kenzie is is like that's that's completely unfair that's that's not what he's like at all and it's like from our point of view even having you know metaphorically been around chris for as long as we have we can't really say one way or the other i I have a suspicion that that is not fair to him because he seems like he has a lot more going on than just like enjoying, like sadistically enjoying tearing people down. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, to me, the interesting thing about this is it can be both. Like he can have a person who has a lot more going on to him and and labeling him as just an abuser is not fair to him. But also his relationship and Kenzie's continued um you know, want of this relationship can be toxic. Like it can be both of those things at the same time. And that's the complicated nature of of people like this. Like, do I think that, that Chris is like literally an abuser? I'd, I'd probably not, but is it unhealthy for Kenzie to be this intense in a relationship with him when, when he seems to not be? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, because the thing is, he knows what he's doing by leaving the team, right? He knows right. what that's going to do to her. So 
it isn't it isn't unreasonable of the rest of the team to be like hey Kenzie um like this this isn't something that happened to him this was his choice to leave so you know yeah yeah I don't know We're, we don't really we don't really know what's going on with him at all so yeah. I don't want to I don't want to jump to any judgments but uh which yeah. I, I mean I don't think the and I don't think the book is asking us to do that I think yeah. the fascinating thing about this is just like the Amy situation um you have two people on polar opposite sides of the argument that are just completely unwilling or unable to see the other person's point of view in this whole argument so you, you were basically at an impasse and in this conversation the impasse is is escalating until Victoria steps in and kind of shuts it down mm-hmm. and cools it down. And uh, my favorite part of, of this is if we parallel this back to the, the Amy conversation, it means that Victoria is kind of taking the role her dad did in that conversation, stepping in and being like the referee and ending the conversation before things get too heated. Um, I wonder if like, remember when that happened with Victoria and, and Victoria was kind of mad at her dad for presumably not sticking up for her and not taking her side I wonder if anyone on her team feels that she did that because Victoria is very kind of silent through a lot of these conversations. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, and, and nobody really takes Kenzie's side here. Yeah. Um, she's kind of on her own here. And that's, I mean, it, again, like I, I, I don't think it's as simple as, as Tristan's trying to paint it because I just think that would make Chris not that interesting of a character like if he's just like no he was just using us he didn't actually care and his first opportunity to get out and do something else he took it like there's yeah. definitely more than going on there so that makes me not side with kenzie but like you know think that there's more to what she's saying than just um i want him to like me so much that i have created this personality in him that's not really there yeah i agree i agree completely um, so as, as this conversation is going on, uh, Aaron and rain go get some burgers, uh, from Patty's patties, which, uh, when Victoria sees the restaurant, she, it triggers an Amy memory, uh, about a time that Amy cried because of the decor of the burger chain, which is basically whole herds of tiny cartoon cows marching off assembly line through the process of getting carved up and served then dining on burgers, um, which just sounds like any burger place in Texas, really. So, Boom. You got them, Matt. Take that billion-dollar meat industry. We got you. Yeah. You're, you're, you're owned. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think this is actually, like, low-key a pretty big deal. Like Victoria has an Amy memory and it's attached to this one of her earliest moments. And it's, you know, not a negative like Amy is bad and evil and a monster type of memory. It's a Amy's a little girl that was horrified by the sight of of things getting slaughtered and injured and is so distraught. She's crying about it. Um, And that's I mean, that's not something that Victoria attaches to Amy very often. Yeah, yeah, this this really jumped out at me as like, hey, she's she's like acting like an empathic, happy. Yeah, well, that's not the right word. Uh, <laughs> she's um, not definitely not she, happy. She, she's not happy. No, but I mean, it's it's something that that you, the reader, empathize with, and you yeah. can't imagine Victoria like sneering at her for being upset by no these graphic images of animal torture so yeah i mean to to me this all just goes to to show and and further explain that victoria's feelings toward amy are some of the most complicated 
emotions that the book has dealt with and will continue to deal with. Like I, I think I was not called out, but I, I heard some people had some feedback when I said something to the effect of Victoria thinks Amy is a monster or something like that. It's like, no, she doesn't think she's a monster. And, and you're right. I, I don't, I don't think Victoria thinks Amy is a monster, but I think Victoria doesn't like complicated stuff and she doesn't like how complicated her feelings are and tries to reject complication as much as possible. So I don't think she thinks Amy is a monster, but I think she kind of wants to. Like, she wants to paint this picture of Amy as this horrible, unforgiving monster that is going to do all these bad things and, and doesn't feel bad about them, doesn't even understand why they're bad. Like, that would make things simpler for her if she could be that. But there are these moments that kind of creep through that facade that shows that shows the level of Victoria's complicated, you know, feelings around her sister. Yeah, I think it's something like double think where she thinks both of them at the same time. Right. Because she she simultaneously realizes Amy is is like this poor girl who who had kind of a, a stressful, rough childhood and then was put under an unreasonable amount of pressure and and cracked and then and then made kind of a series of bad decisions and like that's that's one view of Amy that she's perfectly capable of like admitting is accurate in 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 kind of a a moment of of calm. Yeah. But also Amy if Amy has been in a room that room now feels like a claustrophobic like trap for her. So she's got two two sides like a like kind of a rational dispassionate kind of side and then the side that where her trauma lives where there's where Amy literally is a monster. I mean, Amy is like a horror movie monster to that part of her. So the two sides, I think wax and wane in, in, in strength and, um, you know, depend, it depends on the context of course. So, I mean, I really, I really think that both are true. She, she thinks both of those things. Yeah. And I think, I think things would be a lot easier for her, at least in her mind, if, if just the one were true. Yeah. (laughs) That she wouldn't have to deal with, with how complicated these feelings are. Right, right, yeah, and and then just just move on. She's someone who likes to kind of like button something up and move on, um, and, and not not have to keep worrying at it. Yeah, yeah, just the way her personality is. Um, also, I went on a lengthy mental tangent about how this Patty's Patty's is probably like a bootleg joint that's just using the logo and decor because the legal system is in shambles, and you know, of course. Copyright law is completely unenforceable in a multiverse. Yeah, it's like definitely Fugly Bob, right? Of I course. Mean, like, yeah, definitely. One day I'm actually going to have to like release all of the Ballad of Fugly Bob stuff I've written down. Like there's a lot of stuff that's happened to him in my head up until this point and him yeah. breaking copyright law to steal someone else's franchise definitely fits into everything that's in my head. I'm really going to have to spend some time on this. Yeah, there's been, a big there's a there's a deep backlog of Fugly Bob's commercials, y'all. Oh yeah. In in uh and some of which some, are written down some of which are written down some of which are just <laughs> in my head uh okay so the conversation picks up again uh when it looks like kinsey is sniffling but it's just the spicy hell tacos or is it and then and then there's that interaction <laughs> where um damsel you know perceives it as an abuser uh, abuser pattern which we we mentioned already um, yeah but can we i mean can we just talk about like that's great as part of the conversation, but I love, I love that 
both damsel and ashley like immediately pattern match to that it's just it's very in character for both of them they're like oh we've seen this song before like kenzie says you didn't even know chris don't talk about her him like that and and damsel she doesn't say it but it's like yeah but i've i've seen i've seen how this plays out um i i know so it does it doesn't matter that i don't know him i know i know this song and i know how it ends um yeah. And, and and that might not be fair of them. Like it, it might be them kind of, you know, pasting their their issues on on someone else's problem. But I think it's so wonderful that like they both recognize it. Damsel speaks it. Ashley immediately backs up Damsel because she kind of agrees with it. It's just it's a really great moment. Yeah. That I, I wonder if uh, j- just this is just an idle thought, but I wonder if if Ashley would have had the same reaction if damsel weren't present and and you know because when they're both there it kind of makes them uh they're they're like magnets you know they 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 go in the same they go in the same directions they fall into the same grooves more easily perhaps yeah i I mean it's always it's always easier to you know jump out there and say something when someone else has already you know declared that sentiment so yeah she's she's not out there on her own you know, mm-hmm. going up against Kenzie, who is someone she deeply cares about. Like right. Damsel kind of cleared the way and she's like, no, actually sh- she's, she's kind of right. Yeah. Well, and, and also, um, Ashley kind of tries to like, um, take the sting out of it. Cause she immediately kind of says, um, Kenzie's talking about this pattern of being alone and, and kind of like knowing she's always going to be alone. And Ashley says, I hope you know that pattern ended here. I'm with you. And then Kenzie, like without missing a beat, responds, except you promised me that and you went to jail. Um, and, and, then, and then she stopped herself, then smiled at Ashley. Sorry to say it like that. You did stay in touch, but you did go to jail, too. I saw Ashley digest that, then nod. Um, and that's just that's that that's a gut punch. That, yeah. that was that was rough. Oh, yeah. There's a whole lot there like this, this, this Kenzie, you're not alone. You'll never be alone because I'm here with you now. I care about you. This is a refrain that Ashley has been giving to Kenzie for a while now. And then the response would just be, yeah, but you left. That is a thing that you did. You 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 were gone. And Ashley's basically forced to admit with that nod that, yeah, you're you're kind of right. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. how much that weighs on Ashley. Like we don't see much more beyond that, that, that digestion and then that nod, but like it's a promise she can't really keep because I mean, on the one hand, like she's in a limbo right now where she doesn't know if she's going back to prison or not. Like we don't know what's going to happen with that. On the other hand, she's a Cape and Capes die a lot. Like she's in a dangerous line of work with a, a very deadly power with people that are, um, going to be threatened by her to the point of using lethal force. It's, it's like if, if Ashley's hinging Kenzie's continued like survival and improvement as a person and uh, as, as a person dealing with her trauma on the fact that I'm here, I'm always going to be here. She can't really do that. Like she just can't. Yeah. I think she's probably aware of a lot of that because she she has been like facing up to the fact that she killed bob like she hasn't resolved the issue that led her to kill bob right yeah. like she's 
if, if that exact scenario were to happen again, do do we and does Damsel, you know, does Ashley really not think that she would react the same way? I know she's working on it. We've, we've seen her. We saw her choose not to go into a confrontation with Lung because she knows herself um, and, and, and knows that that would end badly. But like, I think you're absolutely right that like she she has been facing up to these issues and, and I don't know what she expects to happen. I don't know what her long term view yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder like how much being removed from the prison environment is going to end up being unhealthy for her. Like she 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 went into this because she think she thought she needed help with getting a handle and control of her impulses and everything that's going on with her. And now that's been stripped away from her, that that kind of barrier, that protection is gone now. And now she's fully back into this group again, doing cape stuff. And and you're absolutely right. What if a Bob situation happens again? Like what if someone steps up on her and and you know, pushes her in a way that is remnant of the abuse that she suffered. How will Ashley react to that today? And if it's, if it's not in an improved way, then it's a liability. Yeah, absolutely. So we move on. We start learning a little bit more about Chris. Um, at first, Victoria gives Kinsey a hug, which is a nice moment. Yeah, um, I, I, it's, it's a nice moment. It's, it's not, it's not quite breaking the rules because it's more of like an arm on a shoulder. It's and that the, the Kenzie leans into, but it's just really great moment. And this is this is uh, the moment that we have Aaron's only reaction to the conversation, too, is when when Kenzie reveals that she had a crush on Chris. Aaron is suddenly there and says, oh, hun, I wonder if Aaron feels any kind of kinship to like an unrequited crush on someone. Yeah, right? I don't know. Crush love. Yep. Some kind of some kind of uh, empathy, yeah. Hmm. So they start dishing the deets on Chris's situation, and apparently Chris's first memory is of turning back into himself after having been kept in a loop of changing into an aggressive form by some third party. And there's a suggestion that he was either kept or created by a tinker or tinker enclave who rented out his services. Victoria remembers a similar thing happening to a young girl in Brockton Bay. So would you say that Chris was in the kitchen with Dinah? <laughs> eh? um, These are the sure. jokes people come here for, Matt. I yeah. don't know. Like analysis. No. This no is we, excellent. Yeah. Excellent jokes. Oh, we've uh, got some good ones coming up, too. <laughs> but seriously, we do get like little little just the tight, the littlest drip of Chris information here. Um, it, it doesn't. So have we talked about the lab rat theory on air before? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. You, you know, probably know more about it than I do. Cause you're the one that told me about it, well, but yeah, basically lab rat is the guy at the end, uh, in, in sort of the last arc of worm who, um, created the potions that are actually, I guess they were little wristband things that gave people kind of mutation powers and it saved Taylor from dying from, from Scion's golden light. And he has this like capsule that he tries to throw over the edge of the oil rig. And when Taylor helps nudge it over into the ocean, um, he, he stops running and just lets himself die as if that's like his little, his little lifeboat. And I think the notion, uh, some of this is confirmed by word of God. Some of it, I think is maybe conjecture is that like, that's, that's all that's needed to kind of reconstitute him in some form. How that works, we don't know. So the theory is that, you know, Lab Rat uh, either 
Chris is Lab Rat or Chris was like a person who found the Lab Rat formula or Chris is a creation of a resurrected Lab Rat. It, it, the theory, the theory is really, uh, maybe we can find a link to it um, on the um, various things that we post because it's, it's pretty, it's pretty yeah. cleverly put together. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But, yeah. I, I, I like it because I, I like Chris as, you know, this different kind of cape from the guy like Chris has, has always kind of been separate and apart from the rest of the group. So it would make sense, you know, metaphorically if his power is just separate and apart from the rest of the group, the, the, the origin of it is different from the origin, uh, of, of what, what the rest of the group is going through. This new information does not like refute it. Like there, we don't really have enough here to like definitively say, no, this theory is now disproven because of what we learned about Chris. Cause there's so much misinformation and, and we're, we're like directly told that some of this just might not be true. Um, Chris doesn't remember half this stuff. He, he's like piecing together memories. His brain doesn't work right. Uh, he doesn't remember anything before a certain time. Um, so, so we don't get a, a specific refutal of all this but um it is some interesting stuff and and i like it's 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 really tragic like it's super super tragic and you kind of understand why chris has such a hard time trusting people has such a hard time letting people in when he's just been like used and abused by people um for all of the life that he can remember yeah absolutely it, it's you you wish you know you can't help but wish that victoria had known some of this so that she could change her approach to him a little bit yeah yeah i mean and that's i mean that's the thing that's the thing with the whole chris victoria fight is that she's going off the information she has he's going off the information he has and and they weren't communicating um and so so as much as we we fought about who was the right and who was the wrong about this it was it was kind of doomed to end in conflict when you're not sharing the most important pieces of of your, your your shit Yes, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying like, man, the story should have let Victoria know these things. I mean, I see exactly why the story didn't let her know yeah, these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so after they, they bring this stuff up, they collectively mull over the idea of keeping an eye out for the kinds of people or groups who might have been the ones who captured and used Chris. Yeah, so we got some some tinkers probably, um, capes with a lot of money, people with a lot of influence. Do you have any, any theories on this front, Matt? Do you think these are probably people that we've seen before um that we know or is this some new crazy thing that we've never heard of i wouldn't be surprised if we'd seen them i saw somebody somewhere mention uh, orchard um which was a group that was mentioned briefly in um eclipse in the eclipse uh, arc yep in the eclipse arc uh as <laughs> as as being um basically a, a tinker like a bio tinker enclave so that's a possibility i mean just i mean we know <laughs> that's all we know about them really like they, that they they have no no ethics yeah and are like basically rule breakers in the cape game so that also makes us uh suspect them yeah um, i mean i think the fact that chris's stuff seems to consistently link back to old worm characters right the the, the connection with amy that he had before all this stuff went down um this like kind of heavily hinted at connection with Rachel that we've seen in the past seems to hint that, that he 
has is circling around some of our older characters. So, yes, it would not be very surprising for me to learn that the people behind this were people that we've seen before and that we know. Um, Good point. Yeah. Yep. So as the conversation shifts gears, we skip some time, which happens a few times in these chapters. So now Victoria is thinking about her growing hero network as she stands in a semicircle with her teammates, meeting with capes from, from a mercenary hero group and handing them a pamphlet. The details of what's being offered are in line with what we've seen before uh, about her hero organization, but it's a bit firmer, a bit smoother. There's a level of confidence behind Breakthrough now. It's not just an idea. It's a thing. Yeah, the, it's almost as if they've like consolidated their position or something. Mm-hmm. This is I think this change was pretty abrupt for me. Like we it's it's mid chapter. We go from this heavy, dramatic Kenzie conversation into suddenly we've moved through time. Um, we learn a bit a little bit later that all this happens the same day, but um, it's, it's later in the day and we've kind of completely they, they say at the end of that section, they're going to change gears and they kind of completely change gears to the point where it makes me even more worried about Kenzie. But we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. But I do I do like seeing like the the confidence of the group kind of reflected in Victoria's attitude here. She is, she comes off as super confident. She's in control. She knows she's doing what she feels like she's always wanted to do. And she's loving it. Like we come into this whole meeting after they've met with a bunch of the other big groups and gotten them on board. So they're meeting with the smaller group of mercenaries. They're confident because they know that they have support for this already. And it's the, the mercenaries that are scared of this whole thing. And it's just like a, a kind of, you know, shocking shift in, 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 in breakthroughs ability to kind of command and lead this whole thing. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah. It's cool to say, to see, and and we have been seeing it built up very gradually over the course of the story. So it's not shocking. It doesn't feel wrong, but it is a shift from what we've had before. You know, they're, they're, they're in kind of a position of power now. So yeah. And let's um, see, let's see what they do with that power. Yeah. Let's see what they do with it. If you arrest any of the massive scumbags, anyone on our lists, let us interrogate and disappear them. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, that's not something we've seen before. Uh, yeah, that's uh, n- new. <laughs> and then she goes on to say, one of our teams has the means of imprisoning them indefinitely. Reasonably safe. Reasonably humane. <laughs> reasonably reasonably uh, look look i don't deny that this kind of thing is probably necessary in this world like the the prison that they were storing these ultra dangerous capes is gone now um but whenever you use the phrase disappear them <laughs> that's problematic as hell matt uh-huh um Basically, Victoria's organization has just kind of declared themselves the de facto law organization on the planet. We write down someone on a list. That person gets disappeared. Who's who's checking that power? Like who 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 is are we are we approving by committee whose name gets added to these lists? Um, is there any kind of due process happening at all? Did you consult Natalie when you before? <laughs> like we don't see any kind of law consultation here at all. Um and, and and like we know Victoria, we know breakthrough. I'm reasonably confident that this consolidation of Cape Power under their control won't end in like the systematic roundup and disappearing of anyone they decide they don't like. But I seriously doubt that other people are going to feel that confident about our characters because they haven't seen inside her head. So I look at this and I'm like, this seems to me like 
the nightmare scenario that Gary and his ilk of anti parahuman people have been dreading this, this group of consolidated parahumans that have seized power and are basically deciding who is bad and who is good. Yeah. I I don't want to go too far down this line because we simply don't know what she's actually referring to. And I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said. I have a suspicion that like when we find out what's actually going on, it's going to be, well, I was going to say it's going to be a little bit more um, balanced and well thought out, <laughs> but it's possible that it's not. Um, I mean, it certainly but, it certainly could be, but the perception of it is not going to be like yeah. th- this. This this doesn't the optics of of will disappear. Them aren't good. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, like like I, I was wondering if it's just. The idea is we we put them in basically a a holding pen, which which is, you know, something that parahumans can't escape from. And and then they'll be put on trial at some later point. But the fact that she literally says imprison them indefinitely. Yeah. um, Yeah, it has it has it has certain connotations. And look, the most charitable reading of this to defend Victoria is she's she's like doing a little chest pounding like building up her importance and her power and her absolute control to this organization she's trying to convince to join them. So there, I mean, that's possible, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's also possible that it's just a lie, right? Like, right. That, right. Like she, like if she thinks, like if she thinks these guys are going to go to tattletale, which I don't know if that's, um, I, I, I doubt that actually, I don't think she has any reason to believe that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm really interested to see where this particular line ends up. Yeah, but I mean, I think we can safely say whether or not that this is like 100 um, percent right or wrong of her to do from a, a, a armchair moralizing standpoint. The wording of this interaction seems designed to make you feel a little like, oh, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So. We we move on from that. I just feel a little bit uncomfortable about that. We skip to a bit later back at the HQ, and apparently there have just been like hours of these meetings, but that was just a tiny snippet of one of them. Uh, before they do anything else, they turn on the cameras that they had, of course, hidden in the pamphlets <laughs> that they distributed because uh, now they're spying on the people that they just invited into their brotherhood of goodwill. Cool, guys. <laughs> in the name of cooperation and trust and information sharing amongst capes, we're going to we're going to spy on you. Well, they, I, I mean, if they had anything to hide, <laughs> then they shouldn't have. Right. Um, it's the old it's the old. The only people that have to fear are the ones that have something to hide. Right. Yeah, That's great yeah. logic. Uh-huh. Um, and again, I don't necessarily think that breakthrough is making like the capital W wrong decisions here. I just think. This this like change the shift is so abrupt, uh, abrupt and sudden. I just made up a new word, abrupt and sudden that it comes off as like really shocking, right? Like like they basically decided they were going to do this organization thing. They were going to stand it up formally, and they went like full into it a hundred percent, and just said whatever we need to do to get this thing off the ground, whatever we need to do to ensure success of this operation, we're going to do it. It's extremely aggressive, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's very interesting. I'll almost twist um, to to how this arc is going. Yeah, and and the one thing that really jumped out at me here is that this whole plan hinges on Kenzie 
again. Like, yeah. Kenzie working as hard as possible to get them what they need. We need cameras to hide in these pamphlets. We need our whole observation system up and running as soon as possible. Kenzie, go. And there's this moment here that it really jumps out at me where Lookout is saying, there's not much I can do with my stuff broken. And then she undid clasps on her helmet and pulled it off. The helmet itself had been restyled, doing away with the buns. Even with more allowance in the helmet shape to let the hair hang free, it now stuck to her face and scalp with sweat. So she is been running herself ragged she's exhausted she's sweating and victoria's response is like whatever you can do is great which is good like it's it's good it's just like no whatever you can do it's just like any help you can be is great but it's like that's to kenzie that's like do more like to kenzie the code for that is like oh they need me i have to do more things and and we get this moment where Sveta looks anxious as she passes by, like like Victoria says this and Sveta like gets this anxious look on her face and Victoria just kind of d- drops it. She doesn't think about any of this and and yeah. what and the, the danger of it. Yeah, I mean, do whatever you can do is great in, in Kinsey language is do whatever you can. <laughs> that would <laughs> be do great. It, do it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and, and we see it's not just Victoria doing this, right? Because they're looking at something a little later and Rain says, you can't enhance, enhance, enhance. Rain asked. Kenzie shook her head. My tech isn't all that right now. And this to, uh, you know, anyone else would just be like, oh, I'm, you can't do this thing. Bummer. And she goes, yeah, uh, I'll I'll find a way to do that later. To Kenzie, that's like, oh, my God, I failed him. He's going to hate me forever. I need this functionality back and I need it now. I better stay up all night and do nothing else but work on the stuff and and go down into my my overworking mess hole. And it's just like, oh, God, like, yeah, I'm so I'm excited for them to stand up this great thing. But like you're putting everything on this girl who you just admitted a chapter ago is in a really bad place. Yeah, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep translating everyone else's uh, speech into Kinsey language. So yeah. uh, you can't enhance, enhance, enhance. Rain asked with a with presumably an innocent um, shucks voice. Right. It translates into you need to create a capability for your tech to basically create information that isn't in the original image um, using, you know, some highly advanced tinker power that you've never actually demonstrated. And you're going to have to do that now. Yeah. Also, remember that uh, that portal device we talked about all those arcs ago? Uh-huh. That sure would be nice. Could you yeah. do something about that? Yeah, that would be really helpful because yeah. then we could get our reinforcements around faster. <laughs> yeah. Kenzie. No. I, guys. I, yeah. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> guys. Um, and, and I mean, there's well, it'll come a bit later, but there's a moment later where uh, Victoria says, like, you know, th- this is great stuff. This is great work and compliments her. And it's like. I don't want to say you should never compliment Kenzie because that seems a bit harsh, but like all you're doing is you're saying like you're, you're tying her value to, to her ability to contribute tinker stuff to the team. Right. Right. So. Like, like when Ashley specifically compliments Kenzie, Ashley's compliments are always about like specific aspects of her behavior, her overcoming things she struggles with. It's never like, Oh, your tinker stuff is great. Thank you. Um, and, and, and I agree like Victoria means this from the best, like she, she means to like, just make her feel better and, and comfort her. But yeah, I mean, how Kenzie would read that is terrifying. Yep. Um, so yeah, they, they're using these cameras that they put in the pamphlets. They track the mercenary Cape team that they talked to earlier. 
and they see that they're receiving a big payment from none other than Tattletale. She's back, baby. Can't keep Tattle out of the tail for too long. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> don't, don't have that reaction. <laughs> oh, it's only getting worse from here, Scott. Um, uh, I, I like Rain's... Uh, I, seem to be, I seem to be translating a lot, but Rain says, we wanted to traffic in information. Were we baiting her? Rain asked. Um, so I was wondering, hey, hey Scott, is this Rainies for... Hey, Vicky, did you plan this invasive spying mission to try to catch the girl you have a grudge against? Yep, <laughs> I think that's accurate. And and Victoria's response is not no, it's no, not really. As if to say, no, that wasn't like mission A, but it was like a nice B. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if things happen to work out that way, that'd be swell. And look, uh, they have. Yep. Uh, so... As things move on, everyone kind of disperses, does their own thing. Rain touches base with Ashley and Sveta about their respective robo-appendages. Uh, Sveta mentions that she'd like something more human, so mm-hmm. we we return back to that um, beat from earlier about the tentacles. Yeah, and it's really great to see her, um, you know, stand up for herself in that moment. Like, she's not afraid of, of hurting Rain. We, we speculated maybe she took these things upon her because he just made them for her and she didn't want to hurt his feelings. But now she's got an opportunity to be like, maybe stay away from the tentacliness. Listen to her, Rain. Please listen yeah. to her. But I, the thing I love most about this is kind of how Victoria very subtly reacts to it. Like, in the middle of this, Rain, like, poses a question to Sveta and then Sveta answers it a paragraph later. But in, in between these paragraphs, we have this moment where Victoria says, I was silent watching the monitors, one with the map, the single blinking icon moving slowly across the map, another with the two tone snapshot of Tattletale meeting accession. And the, the subtext of that is I was intently watching these two monitors, but I was listening very carefully to how Sveta responds to Rain in here and how this conversation goes. I'm mm. studying the monitors, but I am silent. I am listening. I am taking in all this. I am basically playing the referee role, making sure that that this goes in a positive direction and not a negative one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like how that's conveyed. Uh, we also get this beat of uh, Aaron was keeping to the background. But when she wasn't staying quiet while we conducted team business, I could see how animated she was and how she smiled. I could see, too, how Rain was almost revitalized. He had courage now, opinions, almost a new man. And guess so. guess who else has noticed that new man? Oh, who? I think it's a little girl called Aaron. I think I'm so. saying little girl makes it weird. It's yeah, Aaron. It's weird. Aaron. Yeah. Got weird. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Checking in on the undersiders again, uh, it seems that it's not just Tattletale on the um, on the view screen. The whole crew is there. Uh, and what could have driven the undersiders out of their foxhole of Brockton Bay? A hare, perhaps? See, I was going to be, like, mad at you for doing that, but I just had, like, three unscripted terrible puns leading up to this. So, well done, sir. Thank you. We're yeah. just... We're just continuing down and down. Yeah, it's just getting worse and worse. Um, I, I mean, the cool part about this is that Tattletale has, of course, immediately sniffed out the cameras because, like, duh, that's Tattletale. It's like what she does, and the, and they're just playing with them now. It's like, yeah, we know you're watching, and that continues into the next chapter. And the next chapter, ten dot four, begins with Victoria thinking. She's th- through her thoughts. She emphasizes 
where we are in the scheme of things. For weeks, she's been putting together her network, making relationships, earning trust, putting the reputation of breakthrough on the line, and gen generally coming out the better for it. And Victoria thinks she's basically succeeded. Her network is big enough, and now it's time for consolidation. Yes, consolidating her power until Victoria is the queen of Earth Gimmel. And then, and only then, do we strike out against the red queen of Earth Chin. The war to end all wars. Sister against sister. Chris against Kenzie, I guess. Unlimited yeah. power. The lesser book would probably actually do that, but it, uh -huh. I think Victoria is just going to, you know, keep making strives to do her part to make the world a better place. Um, I, I do love this, though. I love on the cusp of their, them like flipping the switch and turning on their new new world order. Kind of. We have Victoria taking stock, taking stock in what they've accomplished and what they've lost. There's this wonderful beat where she says three team members lost along the way two partially recovered. Um, I, I, I love that. I, I do worry, though, that Victoria's kind of putting all her eggs into this basket. She's, as we see in the summary, she's made everything they've done, everything they've suffered, everything they've gone through, um, all about this, this one moment. And if this thing fails, then it by default makes all that stuff not worth it. And that that's kind of scary. Yeah. It's really interesting how she's kind of, uh, gone from this, not being on this team. I'm, I'm just kind of the coach, uh, to the, team is executing her plan now and is spearheading her her organization yeah um so we get this scene of uh i stood in the center of the open floor of our headquarters surrounded by whiteboards that were littered with notes and personal details my arms were folded my still burned and bandaged hand resting against my bicep where the bullet had passed through my costume top was in the laundry so i only wore a sleeveless black undershirt with my costume bottoms uh, thank you. I, I kind of indirectly ask you to pull this out via <laughs> tweets. Um, and I love everything about this. I, I almost think like this does a a better job of doing the kind of Victoria, you know, going back through all her past accomplishments and, and thinking about everything they've done and everything they've suffered. I think this does almost a better job of getting to that same point because we have like her standing surrounded by whiteboards that are each. Like well, the whiteboards symbolize their plans as a team, but also each member like each member has their own whiteboard and it's their disparate personalities and notes and things all around them. Then we focus in on her old wounds. We see the burn wound, the gunshot, the thing she suffered as she's as she's gone through this, the damage she's taken along the way. And then we get this wonderful beat about how her costume is only half on as if she's like half Antares, half Victoria. Um, it, like she's. She's kind of like she's half and half and both sides are kind of aligned towards this common goal. Um, it's just this wonderful, like summary, heavily image, like paragraph that I just I love. I love so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I particularly um, agree with the, the the aspect of her being like half half in her costume because it's it's like, yeah, her her cape identity and her civilian identity are are blurred together completely. Yeah, it's, and it's yeah, that's just she's. I don't even know if it's supposed to be a good thing necessarily, but she's she's integrating um, the, all the selves. The I, the Victorias are emerging. Yeah, I mean, I think it's generally a good thing because it, it's it's the like the different parts of her were so distinct and 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 to the point where like her powers were a connection to a, a her that she didn't feel like her. So 
um, that, that those lines are being blurred a little bit seems like she's coming to terms with who she is as a person. And that's always good. Yeah, yeah, I can see it as being a good thing. I'm just always skeptical. <laughs> you're, always, you... you're always skeptical of good things happening yes, in this book. Exactly. Wait a minute. That's good. What's yeah. going on here? Do you do you read anything like uh, metaphorically into um, there having been a big hole in the floor that's now been like papered over, if you will, by Capricorn's uh, power? Um, I mean, there's the basic of of, you know, we've kind of tried to to repair the damage that was done like the, the hole was the one that she created when she tried to kill amy right like it's the hole right. she smashed in the floor when she did that right so yeah it's right. like um it, it's a it's a patch job so it's not yeah. like um it's not like they've re- actually repaired the damage they've just tossed some rocks down and okay that's covered we're good right yeah i mean there, there's there's something very non-permanent about that yeah i mean it seems very intentional there because like I'm sure that that's going to be way harder to repair now that it has a big plug of magical rock in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's literally a Band-Aid, right? Yeah. Um, and we also learn, as we're kind of describing the room, that Byron has taken over Chris's whiteboard. Oh, yeah. The subtext being, well, Chris is gone, but now Byron is like officially on the team. Yeah. If you get a whiteboard, you're on the team. That's how it goes. We got to pay attention to see if, if Damsel gets a whiteboard. Yeah. But speaking of of Byron and, and Tristan, I don't think we're going to get a lot of opportunities throughout the rest of this chapter to talk about this. So I thought I'd talk about it right now. Um, throughout everything that happens in this chapter, we see the two brothers kind of aligned in interactions on the mission. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we have these moments where they're just kind of switching back and forth. Um, as the need arises in whatever they're doing, right? So we don't have any mention of times, of, of someone's times coming up, of borrowing time. Um, it's just kind of they're on the same page when they're doing cape stuff. Like Byron is better at driving in the ice, uh, switch to Byron. Tristan is better at handling the more delicate kind of conversations with people. Okay, so switch back. There, there's there's homogeny here. Like I, I, I don't know if things are are going like great at home when they're off duty uh how things are going there but we're seeing a partnership in the cape work that we haven't really seen before in them besides that one brief moment back in in their interludes where where byron like talked about how good this felt like them working in tandem them understanding each other them switching back and forth um and how good it made byron feel uh i get the feeling that that's what we're seeing when they're when they're doing cape stuff now that they're aligned in their goals with this now and it's good yeah yeah it's it's really cool um i'm sure it's going to continue to be exactly like this just so negative. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't help but but notice like e- each of the characters that's kind of had their moment in the spotlight has had kind of a, they they've given us a catharsis of some kind. They've shown us that they they've they're grappling with their their issues, their flaws, their mistakes, whatever those are. But that doesn't mean okay now they're on easy street. Yeah, um, and th- I mean that's recovery, right? Like that. Yeah. That the whole conversation with Amy was was she's changed and it was like well no but people backslide and mm-hmm. we're seeing it it happens it's 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 human like we recovery is not a on off switch we are, you're not just better um you make progress you grow you learn to deal with things i love i, I think ashley's quote about kenzie summarizes that a lot she's better in some ways but in others she's as bad as i've seen her 
And, and that's, that's how these things work. It's not like, it's not black or white. It's some, you learn how to deal with some things. You're able to process some things better, but you're not just like suddenly better. Mm -hmm. Yep. So Victoria is watching the Kinsey powered software that keeps track of what the other teams need and how they're communicating and interacting. She sees an advanced guard patrol get an assist from the major malfunctions and succeed in making an arrest. And she's pretty happy about that. And I am too, because the major malfunctions get another win. Yeah. Love those guys. Yeah. Good job, guys. She's so happy. In fact, she literally flies across the room to make a note about this. Yeah. And this is something that she's like never done. This this exuberant use of her power. And it really, it feels huge to me. Um, I mean, remember when she wasn't flying at all? Yeah, like she she wouldn't use her powers at all, any of them. And it, 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 it she shakes it off like she she justifies it as I would have been risking a Kenzie like happy skip or bouncy walk if I was to use my feet to travel, which is a great excuse. But like. You're alone, so who cares if you do that? Like it's just a different Victoria. And and she's commented before on how Crystal so casually used her powers in everyday life and how she just wasn't in a place that she could do that now. And, and it seems like we're, we're getting there. This is not the last time that Victoria flies. In fact, there are moments throughout the rest of this chapter where we see Victoria floats over to her computer. She is just kind of hovering this entire time. Um, and, and that is different for her. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. She's, she's floating, uh, you know, in, in, uh, with, with joy, if you will. Um, <laughs> So she sees another advanced guard team, uh, Sprite and Flapper, entering the territory of Eclipse Arc. What? At which point <laughs> I fell into a hole of meta and wasn't sure if I was real or not. <laughs> um, and then the, the two heroes apparently end up retreating, uh, which I'm sure isn't helping to set up Eclipse Arc as a formidable foe or anything like that. Um, maybe their powers are fourth wall breaking. My assumption that... Uh, the eclipse arc of the story was so powerful and emotionally affecting that it like became sentient and gained superpowers. Um, when the heroes fight it, it'll just like throw some pages at them and make them read them. And uh -huh. they'll be like overcome and stricken with like sadness and, and grief and just have to sit down and, and think about things for a while. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I would be down for that. honestly. So Victoria goes on thinking about Eclipse Arc for a couple more paragraphs about how they're Robin Hood villains who mainly target other villains uh, or people who deserve it in general. Nope, not setting these guys up for a later encounter at all. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see how all this plays out. This is this is a, a group that seems to kind of live in this in between between good and bad. They only go after bad villains that we've got some hints that they've kind of broken that a bit. But there's this line about hopefully that uh Hopefully the advance guard steers them back to their old path of just going after the bad guys. And and I, I wonder like how how that mission is going to come in contact with breakthrough. And and I mean, I don't I don't want to read too much into the name. I mean, like Eclipse Arc could just be like, this is a name I wanted to do. And it was fun. But like if they're people that go after the worst of the worst of the villains, um, breakthrough has a couple of them with them right now. It's got some former Slaughterhouse Nine people. Like, does their does their path lead through these people, and and what does that do? Yeah, what is their feeling on on redemption and, right. and second chances? Right. So uh, they switch their attention now from uh, the ongoing slow drip of success 
uh, via um, what are some names for Victoria's organization? Uh, Victoria's Heroes One, um, VH1, or Monitoring Team Victoria, perhaps uh, MTV, I guess. And then back to the Undersiders. Matt, see, the thing is, the kids don't know what either of those channels are anymore. Yeah, I don't so. think any of our listeners have heard of those things. But that that that's I mean, also, what are you talking about, Scott? <laughs> I wasn't referencing anything. I'm so angry with you right now. And not because they're bad. It's because I wish I had thought of them. Oh, oh, they're bad. They're they're that's they're they're nothing. Victoria's <laughs> Heroes One. That's Let's, like that's like I'm gonna I'm gonna make something. It's working backwards. Like how can yeah. I fit? No, look, this is a low moment for me, okay? Let's <laughs> monitoring let's monitoring team Victoria. Look. Let's, oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Let's, let's let's talk about this for another half hour. Yeah, let's pretend that I don't have access to the audio file so, and that I and that you're putting this in against my will. So what what were you thinking? <laughs> um well <laughs> <laughs> let's just move on. Let's move on. <laughs> uh so they have more surveillance imagery of the undersiders gathered around the open trunk of a rented vehicle. We've got Tattletail, Imp, the Heartbroken Kids, Chicken Little, and Snuff. And uh, they're surrounded, of course, by mercenaries, as always. Yeah. So, I mean, this might be me reading too much into things. But, but what I really like about this is that Victoria seems to, on a level, be like moving towards borderline obsession with Tattletail and her group. Like she's just stood up this new organization. It's just gotten off the ground. Results are coming in like it was her whole world. She was like everything was leading up to this moment. And then as soon as that's over, she's like, I can't help can't help but just checking in and seeing what old tattletales up to and it's like just just gonna obsessively cycle through these pictures because there's something there's a bug in my craw and it's really it's really it's just bugging me um uh-huh. I, I like i don't know i don't know how much i want to read into that but it, like it seems like she's got this history with tattletale and she can't help but uh investigate or or keep tabs on her I, yeah i like that because this is a moment where She's she's like literally literally floating with triumph and but it's but like out of the corner of her eyes this little nagging thing she's yeah. got to keep checking in on yep. and in fact completely ends up distracting her. Um, yeah. So Victoria it then interrupts her observations about how the undersiders are running guns or paying mercenaries with guns, which is much better, obviously, uh, to think about Parian's awesome fashion line. <laughs> Hey, that's nice. It's such a classic Victoria move. The Undersiders yeah. are equipping a force and paying them in guns, and they're heading to Parians. And oh my God, have you seen her clothes? They're so great. I love them. But yeah, the the guns. It's bad. It's yes. real bad. Yes. No, I love it too. But but it's nice. It's nice to learn that that the Parian was finally finally lived her dream of being a, a fashion designer. Yeah, I mean, and it's just so Victoria. She she loves that shit, and she yeah she's gonna gonna pay respects to yeah. an amazing yeah. fashion person yeah i mean i mean this is probably what like convinces her to go easy on him frankly yeah just this yeah, yeah. um I, I like this bit where you know we've mentioned we just mentioned Parian, and then she thinks things might get harder if she decided to have foil take shots at the cameras but sending that kind of projectile flying out over a populated area didn't seem like the kind of thing that the flechette or lily i'd known would do and this just kind of efficiently reminds us that we know Lily and we're happy to see her. And also reminds us that Victoria knows Lily personally. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's what it's doing, I think, is 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 starting to paint that complex picture of Victoria's uh, feelings towards the Undersiders as a whole. Right. We, we have this this borderline obsession with Tattletale. Um, we have this this respect of Parian and her clothing empire. Um, and then we've got these personal connections with Foil, this person that she knew. Um, but on the other side, we've got someone who has, she's got issues with Rachel a little bit because it was Rachel's dogs that she fought um, in the moments before. Like that's what kept her late getting back to Amy, right? Because she was fighting, uh, she's fighting Rachel and Siberian. So there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of complex emotions surrounding this entire team. Some of the people she respects and knows, some people she's like, like obsessed with, some people she doesn't have good relationships with, and it's like this is a team that's like exemplifying the the grayness of how you deal with with other other cape organizations and now she's not even going to have to come in conflict with them she's like putting her she's putting herself and her team in conflict or or in um a situation where they're going to have to deal with these people Mm -hmm. yeah um and and it it feels like we're we're heading there pretty quickly actually because we're 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 skipping time a lot so that we can get to kind of um, catch up with what's ca- what's happening with those guys. Yeah, there there is a minor beat here that I wanted to focus on for just a minute, though, because while Victoria is mulling over the Tattletale stuff, another victory comes through their system, and it's against a group of non-capes who were hoarding food they grew instead of sharing with the city. And we get this beat of uh, Rain says farming collective, kind of like what the Fallen had. They decided they wanted to keep everything they grew. They didn't want to pay taxes or give a share to the city. Didn't want anything from the city. Ignoring that the city gave them the seeds, machinery, and tools, built the roads, and provided material for the homes, Tristan said. Sure, Rain said. Yeah, I, I guess so. Didn't hear that end of it, but I'd have to be the case, right? It was, Tristan said. I think this is like a, a like a low-key, like a really good avenue of attack towards Victoria's organization and what they're trying to do, at least in the court of public opinion. Tristan and Rain's conversation basically demonstrate that while some people are aware of the fact that this organization only has crops to give because the city, the government helped them with it, um, that is not a perception that everyone in the place knows about. So there's a a way to build a misinformation campaign around this as capes stopping uh, innocent civilians just trying to feed their families and 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 building a case against their organization via that through misinformation like i can see the seeds of that being laid in just this this tiny little conversation here yeah no I, that was one of the thoughts i had was like the 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 optics again of a bunch of capes attacking a, a innocent farming commune yeah. all we were doing great. was just growing our food and we didn't want anything from the city we didn't ask them for anything and of course the the minor beat of well the, the only reason you have anything at all is because it was given to you with the understanding that you were going to repay it through taxes or crops but that uh-huh. that's a beat that the yeah. the people building this narrative just just don't don't yeah. and 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 Rain represents the type of person that didn't know that. And if, if he didn't have a Tristan to come in and say, no, actually, here's the real information, he would have carried on with that information. And I think that's just a, a microcosm of what could happen in public discourse about this event. Yeah, right. I, I like that it was Rain who said that because he's he, he can't help but but have a lot of his worldview shaped by the fallen. Right. Um, so so it probably is like definitely his his predisposition to be like why shouldn't people be just allowed to 
grow their own food and, yeah. and not be obligated to anyone. What's wrong with that? And I mean, is it, Tristan kind of like shuts him down, actually. Right. Um, a little bit aggressively, actually. It's almost as if like we're polarizing viewpoints mm, and stuff. Interesting. Perhaps, perhaps <laughs> this is. See, I didn't think this was going to be a big deal, but but you've actually changed my mind a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those like set up things just kind of tossed in there that I could just see how it can unfold into a big deal. It doesn't mean it needs to, but um, mm. like I, I just see that I see the the seeds, the seeds that they're not paying taxes on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Victoria also impresses us by explaining in detail why it's a terrible idea for her team to actually attack the undersiders. Finally, it took how many years? Finally, someone <laughs> figured out that the way to defeat the undersiders is not just to attack them. How long did it take? Just this this young cape figured all this shit out that no one else could. She's the most brilliant person in the entire universe of yeah. parahumans. Yeah, well, she's she's watched a lot of people say, uh, I can take them and, and fail. So later, the team drives to a location together in the breakthrough mobile, uh, which is just Kenzie's parents van. Uh, Rain and Sveta confer about the possibility of a giant Mecha Sveta, which <laughs> sounds kind of like a compromise between being human and yeah and not. OK, I'll make um, you human. But what if you're just like a, a big, a big human? Yeah, like this is a really right. big one. Yeah, like monstrously big. Um, <laughs> don't don't use that word. <laughs> uh, Ashley and Kinsey discuss her caretakers going through um, uh, Kinsey's caretakers going through her stuff when she's not at the institution and being bothered by that. Yeah, and Ashley's responses are uh, very. I mean, they're very Ashley, but like in a super abrasive kind of Ashley we haven't seen in a while. Like they went into my room, they went through my things. Some were tinker things, but I don't think they realized. Off with their heads. Uh huh. I, I mean, she's joking, but also like she's just kind of half-assing her advice, is how I would put it. Right. Like, I mean, and that's that's the thing is like I don't like I don't think this is Ashley saying like you really you actually need to kill them slash scare <laughs> them, but I feel like the Ashley we've seen had been so careful and like specific with the type of advice she gives Kenzie in the past. Like she took time with it and was careful with how she worded things and how she dealt with this. And this is, you're right. It's, it's so much more casual and, uh, and indifferent. And, and if this was like an isolated incident, I'd probably just laugh it off. But, but the story continues to draw attention to the fact that, that, um, that Ashley is acting certain ways and is the story is continually through Victoria's point of view, drawing attention back to her uh, recent interactions with damsel as a possible point, a source of this behavior. And, and it, it's not concluding that is definitively what's happening, but it, it does continue to draw our attention to it. So it's worth calling out anyway. I agree. I agree. Uh, so Victoria talks up the undersiders some more while they're driving, giving her version of the story, which is sort of correct, but includes the detail that they recruited Skidder in order to capture Dinah. Yeah. I mean, not true. It's fascinating, right? Because yeah. basically nothing she says is like factually false from an outside perspective. Like if you just look at the chain of events, it's like Skidder joined the team. Then they immediately robbed a bank. The bank robbing was just a distraction to kidnap Dinah. Then they used Dinah and some other thinkers to take control of the whole city. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you're missing some nuance, but 
you're not wrong. And I think that's a great like a little bit of color and how histories of things get written. Right. The, 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 like when you're looking back at a chain of events and you connect all these these events and make assumptions about the, how one is specifically designed to connect to another. I mean, that's why, like, the study of of history is so fascinating to me in general, because it's like historians basically have to take all these accounts and kind of wade through the bullshit to find the, the, the thing that actually happened at the center of it all. But like, I think that's what we're seeing is here. Like this is Victoria's assessment of the undersiders is probably the most popular one. Like it's the one that probably most people in the know um, agree with. Like, I think hers is a little more uh, anti tattletale barbed a bit because of her relationship with her. But I think this is probably the popular opinion on, who the undersiders were and what they did and, and who did what. Yeah. And I mean, we, we, it's basically confirmed that like, well, Weld also believes this because that's what he told Sveta. So yeah, it's, it's basically the consensus hero side view of things. And there's not really a consensus villain side view of things. It's really just the undersiders who know what really happened. Yeah. Yeah. Just everybody else is dead. But the interesting thing to me is I think the undersiders probably, the, the remaining undersiders probably like this misconception this way because it makes them look more dangerous and badass, right? Like this idea that, yes, this was all part of our, we knew what we were doing the whole time and we all, this was the end goal from the beginning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the undersiders, yeah. like, I mean, back in Taylor's day, it was all about projecting this badassness that they never really had. Um, and it seems like mm-hmm. that has continued on through, through this story at least. Yes, that's that's a great callback. I forgot about that. So uh, Kinsey has apparently deduced that the Undersiders fled New Brockton in two separate convoys, and then those convoys met at a certain point and then moved on from there, uh, taking a break in the middle of the trip. And she's able to narrow down the possible places that they could have met for that break. Uh, Byron drives the team to a truck stop. Um, Rain says, truck stop? I bet guys bleed here all the time. What, um, what is what's going on with rain truck stops? <laughs> I mean, I get it here that, that people fight a lot of truck stops and I'm sure they do. But every truck stop I've ever driven by, it's mostly just like d- dudes eating or sleeping uh-huh. in their trucks. Yeah. Rain. Rain is funny. I rain like is very I like that funny. guy. Uh, so, yeah. So the reason why there's blood, of course, is Victoria has observed that a fight happened here. So they investigate um, to go into the breakthrough detective mode, Ashley finds some bullet casings and she touches them. Um, and rain says, Hey, you shouldn't touch those. And then Ashley kind of like over the top embarrasses him about the fact that she doesn't really have like fingerprints or skin oil. And then, and then after he admits this, she says, there we go. She said, smiling her left shoulder brushed his, his as she walked past him, then brushed against his shoulder blades as she walked around behind him. So it's it's kind of adorable, actually, how, <laughs> how she's like she's she's not angry. Right. She's like she's being like a cat almost like it reminds me of like how a cat will like walk around you and rub its body against your legs. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cute. It's it is. And it's so deliciously smug. And like Tristan yeah. immediately calls her out on her smugness. It's like this. You've never been this smug. And I mean, you could read this as like a, another damsel effect thing, but. I mean, I choose this this like Ashley's biggest choice 
when it came to her life so far is the, is the choice to get real hands, the choice to remove the the bone saw crafted monstrous hands and, and get real human shaped hands. And there are things there. She is proud of that choice and she is proud of those things. And she's in this moment. She's proud of her hands. She likes these hands. They're awesome. And she really likes them. And so she's going to be smug about the, the benefits that these hands give her, that this choice gave her. And it's it's great. I love it. Yeah, me too. Um, I really like that Breakthrough using their time camera to examine a scene is now a thing in this story. I mean, it's been this is like the third time that they've been that they've leveraged this power of Kenzie's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and this time it's even better because Kenzie has used her box specialization. <laughs> um, I wonder what Kenzie's issues would have in common with putting things in compartments or hiding things or trying to contain a bad situation. Yeah, the, this to me feels like one of those things that that Wildbo really wanted everyone to like get in in moments previous to this one where Kenzie says specifically my specializations are cameras and boxes. Um, but like people failed to really, really draw those connections in a satisfying way. So uh, he just had to have the character just come out and say it. That's uh that's our bad. I mean, I think we like we <laughs> talked about that in the past, but like not, we never like specifically outlined and drew the, the connection uh-huh. there. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't remember ever. So it's ever like, okay, we need that. our characters to just declare. Yeah. Um, so what we see on the uh, video thingy, uh, actually the projections, I guess, is that the undersiders uh, are under attack. We see snuff shielding tattletale imp shielding the heartbroken kids with her body. And then uh, nearby, Gregor, Faultline, and Shamrock, the Polankeen mercenaries uh, near the Undersiders firing back. Victoria reminds us of the rivalry between the two gang leaders and remarks on the fact that they're um, working together now. Yeah, so they must they must have been desperate and mm-hmm. and to work together. I love that. And then we also see here Imp. With a missing arm, Matt, her arm is missing and there's a silvery trail that goes back to the, the bad guys that are fighting them. What do you think that's all about? I think somebody snagged her arm and uh, possibly replaced it with a different arm. Yeah, we know that uh, the people that we're about to reveal have an ability to do that. Um, also, like arms just getting chopped off is like a pair of humans thing. So maybe uh-huh. it's just that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't. I don't think like Imp doesn't have an arm anymore is going to be a thing, but especially yeah. that that silvery line connecting it back seems interesting. Of course, that too just could just be like a the, a knife traveling through the air and the time camera sees all location. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, somebody pointed out like, hey, Imp is this character who like her, her thing now at this point in the story and at the end of Worm is that she she learns things from other people. She takes on traits of the people who she, who who she, she who she loved and who she wants to to represent well going into the future and uh maybe one thing that she wants to represent about taylor is having uh, one arm there you go <laughs> that's not not my original observation i mean it, it it is it is a character trait of hers um it's <laughs> just i don't know if she, i agree i don't know if she's gonna actually not have one arm going forward but uh we'll see mm-hmm. so um, at this point, when she sees the, uh, she sees Imp injured, she convinces herself that helping the Undersiders is okay because they had a role in saving the world. <laughs> I love this for so many reasons. I love that the the role is like 
severely downplayed as like, yeah, just a, you know, just a role. Just, I mean, they were just there. Yeah. 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 But um, Victoria is really wrestling with this decision, right? Like, it's like the, the undersiders are in trouble. I don't know. I have to help them. She says, I did feel sympathy, but I didn't feel bad exactly. They'd brought a mess down on their heads, own heads somehow. They'd made enemies and they'd answer for it. I had no idea what we'd do or how we would handle it if it came down to it. I could see us standing by and letting Kate fights happen, but it didn't feel right to take the undersider's side either. She's like, they're in trouble. They must have done it. Like, (laughs) Uh they must have brought this mess down on their heads. It must be their fault because they couldn't just possibly be being singled out and attacked for no reason it has to be their fault and looks she's like working through her uh her push and pull of of the feelings related to this it's like i can't just let a cape fight happen but helping the undersiders yeah and it's to reinforce that a bit later she says still didn't feel right to intervene on their behalf but by the rules at least by the unwritten laws maybe Ugh. <laughs> it's like she's like inter- her internal monologue is just exhausted by this yeah. this this feeling that's building in her that she has to step in like she has to help out like right. even people that she doesn't like yeah i mean that's that's what's kind of amazing and great about victoria is we know her hero nature is going to win out over her grudge yeah uh it's just she's not at all happy about this fact yeah maybe if you um, weren't so obsessed with tattletale you wouldn't have stumbled upon this information and then felt like you needed to help her out Yes. Um, so I love the minor detail that the passing cars on the highway are slowing down to, to look at this like holographic visualization of this battle that happened <laughs> and, 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 and which which which, you know, probably looks really realistic. So they just have no idea what they're looking at. It's awesome. Yeah. And because like it, it's not like it's not like a video that's playing through time. It's like multiple times instantaneous. Like it's got to look crazy. Like I can yeah. imagine like a, a non cape just driving to work or something and being like, what the? What yeah. the fuck is that? Yeah. Are they yeah. fight? Are, no. Yes. There's a yeah. there's an arm flying through the air. Just imagine living in this world. And like you see this stuff and you like try to look it up later and find out what it was. Yeah. And you never find out. No. No. Yeah. And you're just like. Uh. So the team is able to narrow down who the attackers are, not because they get a positive ID, but because our heroes are familiar with them personally and recognize them even from hints. Rain and Tristan recognize the cluster capes collected by March and. Paris, respectively. Go ahead, Scott, say it. You were right, Matt. Fine. You were right. You were right when you made your Paris thing a... You said it was a a March and Foil, like he was part of that same cluster, right? Yeah, that was my guess. You're brilliant and you nailed it and you're just just the greatest mind of our generation. At last. Um... (laughs) That's it. That was really cool, though. I like I mean, you completely logic in a way that made so much sense. And I, I couldn't even really argue with it. But it's yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. My my technique works sometimes, apparently. Um, so and, and so the chapter wraps up with us realizing that the cluster cluster is after foil and the undersiders are aiming to protect them. Yeah. So we're going to have to deal with uh, with March again. Yeah, I I. She was an interesting character. The whole the whole cluster cluster, as you've named it, was um, was really wonderful. And uh, I, I enjoyed like the mystery around them and the, the kind of unknown. Like, wh- where are they bad? Are they good? Like, what's going on with them? What do they want? What are they planning? It's been like a mystery since very early in the story. And we're finally hopefully going to see what's going on there. 
Yeah, yeah. And I can't wait to find out. I, I, um, I love the idea of the undersiders being in the middle of this, these polarizing opinions. Like, like I could see like March and her cluster on one side, the team breakthrough on the other side. And in the middle of this is the undersiders once again. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, I, I'm, I'm honestly like very, very excited about, uh, how this arc is going to go. Me too. So no, no, no names this week. I don't think, um, and the discussion question for this week is uh, what are some reasonable limits that could be placed on Kenzie's surveillance? What are some common sense boundaries for reasonable use of a power that allows such limitless surveillance? Just something to think about. Something to think about. Yeah, I like this because um, we we talked about kind of the, the the bad optics of, hey, be on our team, people that we want to trust and communicate with implicitly but also we're going to spy on you so yeah i mean like how how do you control that in a, a manageable way that's both utilizing her power but fair yeah i wonder what exactly. people wonder what people have to say about this one yeah let us know and that's yeah that's all we got for you this week on we've got ward you guys are all part of this show so feel free to provide us with advice questions or thoughts on this week's reading you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at punmastersupreme69. <laughs> and if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And you can find this and all the other shows we do over at doofmedia.com. This week on the Doofcast, we're going to do our Matrix Revolutions episode. We, I think, I know, we said that last week, but we were just kidding. It's this week. Yep. Um, Instead, we talked about unlikable protagonists. Yeah, that's a really great conversation. If you haven't listened to last week's podcast, check that out. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation. That was something we just kind of thought of a couple days before and uh, decided to really dive into it. And it turned out great. So check that yeah. out. Yeah. And if you want to uh, support any of our shows, consider donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash doof media. Uh, you can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in our quarterly fan art and costume. Well, costume contest is over. It's just a fan art contest for the next quarter. Oh, yeah, that's coming Q up. Jeez. Yep. Yep. Uh, Q&A sessions, access to live streams of our recording sessions, and our excellent Discord chat. And special thanks, of course, to new uh, Bidoofs, Elliot D, uh, and Aaron E at the $1 level, and Tom R at the $5 level, and new Doof Warrior, Teaspoon, at the $20 level. Wow. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Um, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. Thanks. We really guys. appreciate that. And we have added a new goal to our Patreon as of five minutes before I started recording this podcast. Um, we have a goal at the seven hundred and fifty dollars a month level. This is something I think we've been talking about a couple times in public before, but um, we're going to try to get into at that level. We're going to try to look into um, I called it doof plays. Um, we're going to try to get into game streaming. And we're going to look into maybe starting off slow with with like one or two streams um, a week or something. Uh, maybe bring my wife in and make her play a game and, and see what that looks like. Um, so, yeah, if, if you want to see that happen, um, you know, consider donating a dollar a month or, or whatever else. 
Yeah. And as always, make sure you go over to Wildbo's Patreon, patreon.com slash Wildbo, and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it. And if you can't afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating and a review. This week's review comes from Sandy Bunting, who gives us five stars and says, We've Got Ward is a great companion to the web serial. Not only does it let me spend more time in Wildbo's wonderful world, yay, it really helps me improve my literary analysis skills. Best of all, for me, despite the in-depth analysis, the light atmosphere and humor stops the podcast from feeling too tiring. I would really recommend this to anyone who enjoys Ward and wants to go deeper into the universe of parahumans. Thanks, Sandy. I'm so happy you enjoy our humor. Um, we had a lot of great moments of it today, like flawless, wonderful pieces of, of comedy. That, yeah. I mean, probably the best, I think. Yeah. I don't think the fact that this podcast had the tone that it had has anything to do with the fact that it's uh, daylight savings time week and, and we're, <laughs> we're much more tired than usual. a little usual. bit sleepier than usual. Please um, just let my family and friends know how funny you think I am because I really, <laughs> I really need your support in that. <laughs> all right. That's all for this week. Uh, next week, Polarize continues. Polarize continues.